to The Bible and the English Major. I'm Marin, your host. In each episode of this podcast, we analyze stories from scripture the way an English major would, unpacking the parts to gain a better understanding of the whole. I keep it interesting because I'd love to start a conversation. After all, the best part of any good story is talking about it with friends. this podcast, please follow it wherever you're listening today and find me on social media. I love to hear from listeners. Links are in the show notes. Today, we are learning about Jesus' favorite way to teach, the parable. There's a lot to learn here, both about the genre and a God who would choose to use it. It's something I'm muddling about in my own brain, so I'm happy to have some company. Don't be concerned that we're leaving Martha behind. Today's story occurs right before her story. So as you listen, consider what they might have to say to each other. We'll get there together soon. We will start with the Bible story speed run in just two seconds. If you're the kind of person who wants to read the story on your own, It is found in Luke 10, verses 25 to 37. If you want to hear me try to speedrun it, then stick around. Ready? On my mark, get set, go. A lawyer pops up and says, hey, Jesus, what do I do to get eternal life? And Jesus is like, well, you're a lawyer. What does the law say? And the lawyer says, well, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And... Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, yep, you got it. Go do that. And now here's the thing. The lawyer was testing Jesus before, and now he wants to justify himself. And he says, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus is like, well, let me tell you a story. And there's a whole parable coming up about how a couple guys leave a Jewish man to die in the road, but the one who comes and saves him is a Samaritan. This is a big deal. We'll get into the story more next time. But for now, you need to know that at the end, Jesus turns to the lawyer and says, tell me who was a neighbor to this man. And the lawyer's like the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, go, do likewise. And that, my friends, is the speed run for today. Here's what you need to know. This is the part where I explain some context. got a literary device for you. The play within a play. I remember meeting this most meta of devices like it was 1995. There I sit in my senior year lit class, jeans pinned, bangs curled, trying to gauge just what percentage of Shakespeare's Hamlet I actually understand. Larry Litt pauses the tape player to explain what's coming next. Hamlet is about to request a play for his uncle Claudius. He plans to watch Claudius's reaction to the enacted murder of a sleeping king and thereby know whether Claudius killed his dad. Remember that line? The play's the thing wherein I'll catch the conscience of the king. Shakespeare uses the play within a play to illuminate the truth Hamlet needs before he can begin his endless debate over what to do about it. This play within a play or story within a story device 
is not just a Shakespearean thing. Moulin Rouge is Ewan McGregor's best movie. Sorry, Star Wars fans. It, too, contains a play within a play called Spectacular Spectacular. This play cleverly mirrors the events of the movie and the relationship between the two lovers. What do Hamlet, Moulin Rouge, and the first three Gospels have in common? Yes, they all contain the story within a story device. Sadly, I'm not saying there were plays in the Gospels. But wouldn't it be fun if there were? Peter, you're upstaging me again. Remember, James and John, there are no small parts. Thomas, you can do this. You have to believe in yourself. No, Judas, we can't charge admission. What I am saying is that Jesus' favorite teaching method was telling stories. Except for John, the gospel writers took those stories, called parables, and placed them within the larger story of their accounts of Jesus. Though the gospels sometimes contain the same parables, they don't always have the same context and aren't always interpreted the same way by the author. Like Shakespeare and Baz Luhrmann, Matthew, Mark, and Luke used the parables to reflect and inform the larger story they wrote. It's all in service to the author's greater goal, which for Luke is to identify Jesus as Savior and to encourage citizenship in God's radically inclusive kingdom as a way of life. It's tempting to think of parables like fables. Remember Aesop's pithy animal stories that always end with a neat moral? Pride goes before a fall. Haste makes waste. Look before you leap. Like parables, fables are short fiction intended for instruction. But Aesop collected the fables to teach children about the world around them, to lead them to conclusions. In C.H. Dodd's definition, however, a parable's purpose is Quote, leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. End quote. Unlike fables, parables have no easy answer. They are meant to confuse us, enough to make us think, to walk away questioning our life choices. In addition, Jesus told parables not to teach what this world is like, but to give what Spear calls counter-wisdom against it, seeking the, quote, transformation of the uncultured consciousness of his listeners, end quote. Green and fellow editors claim, quote, Jesus told parables to confront people with the character of God's kingdom and to invite them to participate in it and to live in accordance with it. Their purpose was not to inform, but to reform, calling for self-awareness, reflection, and action. Rather than teaching about the world around us, parables instruct about God's kingdom, where God's justice and love for all people are the rule. Transformation into citizens of that kingdom 
requires not new information, but a complete change of perspective and priorities. Craddock summarizes, quote, It is easy to understand why parables are not well received by persons who wish to be told directly what to think, to believe, and do, or by speakers who wish to control listeners by these means, end quote. Parables ask more of us than simply learning a moral, and telling one requires the teacher to let go of the outcome. Jesus gave up control over the narrative's interpretation to get audience participation. He cared more about their engagement in the story than their perfect understanding of it. Let's get on with the show, the part where we really dive into the story. Take a closer look now at the story Luke gives us, which is Jesus' conversation with the lawyer. Then we'll be ready to look at the story within a story Jesus gives us next episode, the actual parable. We start with verse 25, where the lawyer tests Jesus with a question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Amy Jill Levine points out that the tense of the verb do here suggests a limited action. She says, quote, The lawyer is thinking of something to check off his to-do list. Recite a prayer, offer a sacrifice, drop off a box of macaroni for a food drive, put a 20 in the collection plate, end quote. The lawyer wants something transactional. He wants the password, the secret handshake that gets him in. Jesus answers his question with a question. What is written in the law? What do you read there? In response, the lawyer combines two verses from the Torah. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replies, do this and you will live. The do Jesus uses here is different, though. Unlike the lawyer, Jesus implies not a single action, but an ongoing relationship. Eternal life is not a one-time coupon to be validated now and cashed in once we die. It's a continual re-turning toward a God who is constantly turned toward us. It's a continual turning toward our neighbor in love, out of gratitude for God's gifts to us. The lawyer wants to justify himself, to skip the turning toward God and neighbor part, In verse 29, he asks, And who is my neighbor? He's following his initial, How do I get in? question with a, Who do I get to leave out? question. Cue the story within the story. Jesus immediately begins, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Lambrecht points out that when Jesus starts telling a parable, it gives the impression of changing the subject. It's not hard to imagine the lawyer rolling his eyes and thinking, just answer my question. At its inception, the parable already signals an irritant. The provocation continues through the parable and right up to its conclusion in verse 35, when the generous Samaritan leaves the injured man with the innkeeper along with money to pay for his care. 
End the story within a story. End the parable. Jesus then asks in verse 36, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer responds, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus summarizes, Go and do likewise. Wait a second. This ending is pretty neat for a story that's supposed to be disturbing, isn't it? Jesus doesn't seem to be risking any misunderstanding here. We might as well call it a fable and slap the moral on the end. Be like the Good Samaritan. That's why it's important to remember the parable ends before Jesus addresses the lawyer again. The context of the conversation with a particular lawyer may be historically accurate, but it also may be Luke's work for Luke's purposes. Luke loves parables. He uses more than any other gospel writer because they fit his goals so well. Luke wants the community of God to live as disciples, citizens of God's loving, just kingdom. Now, not just after they die. In fact, the 70 followers who find so much success earlier in the chapter are sent out with instructions to heal the sick and tell everyone that the kingdom of God has come near. It's touchable, right in front of us, but it's hard to understand intellectually. Hence, the parable. Unlike Jesus, though, Luke likes to make his interpretations of the parables very clear. As Diana Butler Bass writes, quote, For almost every parable, Luke prefaces the story with what he wants you to think about it. He recounts the story told by Jesus, and then he finishes by restating what he, that is Luke, thinks the story means. End quote. Don't take that to mean the parable didn't disturb, though. Bass argues the opposite. Quote, the parables were so upsetting and so uncontrollable that even the disciples worked to neaten them up so early audiences would understand. End quote. The lawyer approaches Jesus with certainty. His motive is to test Jesus and justify himself. As much as I called him a hater and gave him a snotty voice last episode, Jesus loves the lawyer too. He loves him enough to drop a parable on him, which causes havoc inside the lawyer's inflated brain. Notice that when the lawyer answers Jesus' question about who is a neighbor, he can't even say the Samaritan. And for once, the lawyer lets Jesus have the last word. This man is too tweaked to argue any longer. I've never met a genre quite like the parable. The measure of its success is how many of your buttons it pushes. If you're wrestling with your faith, Jesus says you're doing something right. Press on. Next time we dive into Jesus' parable, I've found an interpretation that tweaks me, but I'll include a few other reasons in case the poison you'd like to pick is different than mine. Thank you all for listening. Please make sure you hit that follow button if you are new here or if you haven't done it yet. 
Thank you for the patrons who are throwing me a couple bucks every month. We are working on some rewards for you. So stay tuned for that. And if you'd like to become a patron, you can head over to my website at marnjo.com and find the support button there. Also, we are still working on that tour in March in the Minnesota Twin Cities area. If you'd like me to come to your church or small group or library or street corner, please head over to my website and click on that speaking tab and we'll figure out how to get there. Thank you all for listening. I hope you're having a happy fall. Bye-bye.